Hey guys, it's Lauren Schmidt, Director of Ministry at Christ Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. A new thing with streaming television shows on the different streaming service providers that seems to have popped up lately has been uh, content warnings on the front end. This is to give the viewer an opportunity to uh, decide whether or not they're okay with some of the content that will be presented within the actual show they're about to watch and to bring to their attention any issues or concerns that might trigger the viewer or cause them to have a very unpleasant experience. Now, I'm, I'm giving a bit of that of sorts tonight before we dive into 1 Corinthians 6. And I do that because as we dive into the text, but even more so dive into the background surrounding the text, there'll be some mature content and themes that will be presented in service of the text, not in any way to be sensational, but because that particular content provides the backdrop against which Paul was writing these words to the church at Corinth. So if you do happen to have any small children or any sensitive listeners or viewers, I would encourage you that if that would be a problem for you to potentially listen to this at another time or watch this at another time that might be a better experience for you or your family. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. But I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's pray. Father God, as we dedicate this service to you, to you tonight, we look at your word and we look at these issues of body autonomy and who is in control, and whose choice it is about what we do with our body. Lord, I pray that particularly as believers, those that claim to know Christ, we would come with an open heart, that we would want to see what you have to say, that we would intentionally block out the din of the culture around us and earnestly seek to know your will regarding whose body and whose choice these issues are for us today, particularly as believers. But I also pray for those uh, that we might interact with, that we might talk with regarding this issue of body autonomy. I pray that we would exercise sensitivity and understanding uh, that we might experience or encounter others who have a differing worldview from us. And as such, that we present your truth in a way uh, that is not offensive on our part, even though your truth is offensive, Lord, but in a way that helps others to see that we ultimately love them and that even more so God loves them. 
And I pray that that would serve as the way and the view through which we see the text tonight and how we hear your word. And it's your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we talk about the church at Corinth, and we go a little bit more into the background, you'll see that, uh, why that's relevant in this particular message. And that is largely because over the course of the last week, our country has been somewhat preoccupied, and rightly so, with the overturning of the Roe v. Wade verdict, or whether or not abortion is legalized, or is legal. It was overturned, and now uh, is no longer constitutionally protected for a woman to go and get an abortion as far as is the Supreme Court is concerned. The power for making those decisions has now been returned to the state to do so. And there's been a lot of public outcry and a lot of conversation and discourse surrounding those things, particularly that I've seen on social media. And it's interesting that even though abortion has been the central issue, that issue has brought out and brought to the surface a lot of larger issues regarding this idea of body autonomy and personal choice and individual rights. And there were sides that celebrating the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and there were others who decried it as a step backwards in society and in culture. And over the past couple of weeks, we've seen that there have been a lot of discussions regarding these things, the issue of abortion, the rights of women, and who can have a say in what we do with our bodies. And while it can be easy to get wrapped up in that debate, the debate regarding whether or not the government should be allowed to make those decisions for its populace, I believe we must be careful not to miss out on the only person's opinion that actually truly matters regarding what we do with our bodies, and that is the one who created our bodies in the first place. And that is God. He has the final say on what we do with our bodies, and we see in Scripture why that is relevant. And this issue of body autonomy and, and question about who has what say and what we do with our bodies is nothing new. Because as we see and we look at 1 Corinthians throughout the letter to the church of Corinth, Paul repeatedly addresses the church's exhaustive forays into the issues of the flesh. As you read that entire letter, there are lots of issues surrounding this idea of body autonomy and sexuality and appropriate and inappropriate relationships and those kinds of things. So it's nothing new, and he periodically throughout even addresses dominant mentalities of that particular day culturally, which are not in many ways unlike some of the, the arguments and concerns that we've heard expressed over the last couple of weeks. And we see this particular passage in verses 12 through 20, him presenting essentially biblical body basics for this idea or this question of body rights and who has a say in what we do with our bodies and who has the most important say, and that is God. So how is all that relevant? Why was there a content warning at the beginning of this? Well, the answer to that is the church at Corinth had a very interesting backdrop culturally. If we think that our particular culture is sensuous and involved in a lot of sins involving the body, we pale completely in comparison and are really puritanical compared to what Paul was dealing with at the church at Corinth. Because what he was dealing with with that particular church was in that culture, he was dealing with legalized prostitution even. So what you had there, if you can imagine what Las Vegas is like now, but imagine Las Vegas where it's completely legalized, all prostitution is legal, and it's nationwide. Imagine that it's also 
predominantly one of America's largest issues of commerce, like money, as far as money is raised and, and those kinds of things and really generated economically in that city was, was from legalized prostitution. And so he's dealing with that, he's dealing with the church there. In fact, when you think of the church, the church, the mega church in town, in Corinth, was actually technically the Temple of Aphrodite, which was essentially a center for the religious sex trade with uh, men and women prostitutes who were religious sex workers. And there was about a thousand workers at this Temple of Aphrodite, and it was frequented by people both within the church and outside of the church. Again, all legal, in fact, culturally encouraged. Because in Corinth and in the surrounding area in Greece, they, it was a, a, a taboo sin to cheat on your spouse unless you paid for it. And then it was completely, totally okay and even encouraged. They had specific laws for what would happen if you uh, had sex with someone who uh, was not your spouse when you were married unless you had paid for that opportunity. And then it was totally fine, completely legal. So that is one of the, the one of the main issues Paul is dealing with when he's dealing with the church. And we wonder why sometimes, I know I have in studying 1 Corinthians and the other epistles, like, why in the world does it seem like Paul talks so much about sex in 1 Corinthians versus the other epistles? And it's the reason because the reason is because the epistles were not written in a vacuum. They were written to address the needs and concerns and culture in which they were found in that day. And it was a large issue in their culture, so it was a large issue in his letter. And as we dive more into this idea of prostitution as a major issue in that day, in that culture, and something that we see him writing about here, we're actually going to dive even further into the different kinds of prostitutes that Paul was dealing with, and that were there, predominant in the city, and how they reflect on the text as we get more, as we get farther into it. And you'll see what I mean as we go. So when Paul presents three biblical body basics for believers in, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we look at this text, we find that the first thing that Paul wants the reader to know as they read this particular passage is ultimately that God cares about what we do with our bodies. God cares about what we do with our bodies. It matters to him. As believers, we might get preoccupied with the soul and the spirit and where we are with God spiritually and relationally, and we very easily forget sometimes that what we do with our bodies matters. It's not just dust to which we return entirely. There's more going on with our bodies than that. And one of the predominant attitudes that Paul was dealing with in that day that I mentioned, prostitution was completely legal and even endorsed as long as it was paid for, he had people who were coming to Christ and coming into the church who were involved in utilizing the prostitutes in town. And when they came to church, if you can imagine sitting down for a service and hearing that it was not appropriate to be doing that, their first thought was, but it's totally legal. I'm not breaking the law. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's not like I'm speeding. And that was the mentality with which believers were coming to Christ and entering the church. And they're like, why in the world is this a problem? I don't see how this is a problem. This has been something that's been done. My, I've seen it my whole life. I've been around it. And now all of a sudden these religious people are telling me that I can't, I can't patronize the prostitutes anymore in town or go to the temple of Aphrodite and even do it religiously? It was, there was a disconnect there. 
And we see there as Paul addresses that in this attitude that's presented in verse 12, where he says, and you see the quotes there in your copy of God's word, all things are lawful for me. That's what he heard. People were coming and they were saying, but it's not legal. It's okay. I'm not breaking the law. In fact, I'm encouraged to do this as long as I'm not out there running around with my spouse. But what does Paul say in answer to that argument? He says, okay, it might be legal, but is it helpful? Or another way that could be phrased in the Greek is, is it beneficial? Yeah, okay, maybe legal, but is it right? Is it good? Is it, is it helpful? Is it productive? And it's interesting the way in which it's phrased, because it's phrased in the Greek almost with a plurality of sorts, where the implication in this text is not only is it beneficial for you, but on the bigger picture, when he speaks of it being beneficial or good, how is it beneficial or is it beneficial for the body on the whole, the church family? And see, when we approach the text as Western Americans, we approach it from a very individualized perspective. We approach it from a, an I-me situation when the gospel and the Bible was written predominantly with an us and we focus. So when Paul challenges this, this line of thinking, sure, it's not against the law, but is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it good? Is what we should be doing? He's talking in terms of not only for us, but also for the, the greater majority of the body within which we worship. Now that also has some implications, because not only were the people there coming to Christ and, and coming and, and worshiping the customer, if you will, but also the workers were coming to Christ and leaving in various degrees from the temple of Aphrodite and now coming to church and worshiping alongside the people who were patronizing them weeks before, which I believe is also the reason why Paul addresses the issue of women wearing hats in church, because the idea behind women wearing hats in church was to obscure their identity so that people could worship without distraction in the body when two people who had a, a monetary transaction just mere months before now knew Jesus and had to worship alongside one another. Again, more culture that we miss sometimes when we preach God's word without understanding the culture within which it was found. So he's all things, yeah, okay, it might be legal. Might even be encouraged outside the walls. But is it beneficial? Is it helpful? How does it affect and impact those that we worship alongside and worship with who are our brothers and sisters in Christ? And then he repeats it again. And he says, all things are lawful for me. Yeah, okay, it's not legal. But I will not be dominated by anything. So he begins to address this issue of physical appetites of whether or not one has control over their body. Because that's one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So he says, okay, maybe it's not illegal, but is it dominating your life? You might think you're in control of what you're doing with your body, but are your appetites, are your desires, are your passions actually calling the shots and controlling what you do? Because he says, as a believer, we have a higher standard to which we should live. And he addresses these two arguments, and what we find as we look at those two arguments of is it beneficial, is it helpful, is it good, and is it controlling me, what we find from that, and how we know that God cares about us, is that we understand that the focus should not be on should we, it should be, or it should be on should we not, can we or can't we. Because you've heard, you've probably heard that statement before, right? It's not an issue of whether or not you can, it's an issue of whether or not you should. And that comes to bear here as well. Yes, you can legally, but should you? 
And the reality is a lot of the fights that we saw over the last couple of weeks regarding Roe v. Wade were issues of can or can't. Uh, there was a focus on the law, on what was legal and illegal. And even I saw believers who were really fighting that particular fight. And I think we get distracted by that particular fight of whether something is legal or illegal, and we push so hard one way or the other for the law, we really miss out on the actual issue there, which is, even if it is legal, should we? Should we? And Paul says, you know, probably we shouldn't. Should we, should we spend our time, or even, I would dare say, waste our time fighting about legalities of civil, civil law? Paul says, I think really the issue is should we? Because there's a bigger issue at work here. So our focus shouldn't be on can we or can't we. It should be on should we. Another issue that he was addressing is the idea that while we may have certain freedoms or not, they should never be used to justify sin. We see that here when he talks about, in verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. He's talking about the law. He's talking about these appetites. He's talking about these desires. And he's saying if we let these desires control us, they determine our decisions. And we can then use them to justify the choices that we make, even if they are legal, even if they are deemed okay by society. There were Christians who were now coming to Christ, who were coming to the church, who were finding out that it wasn't okay to patronize sex workers, and were now using that 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 legality that it's not illegal to do it in order to justify the habits and patterns and lifestyle that they had been living all this time before coming to Christ. They were using it to justify sin. And as believers, we have to be very careful when we let the civil law drive our decisions and choices rather than God's word. We can, if we're not careful, justify sin in our lives first to ourselves and then so we rationalize it first to ourselves, and then we try to justify it with others. And Paul says that's not appropriate. That's not good. We should not feed our appetites sinfully. Are these particular appetites wrong? No, because we have this appetite of food and sex, which within God's parameters are totally righteous. But outside of that are totally sinful. So he says the focus, again, is not whether or not you can, but whether or not you should. God cares about what we do with our bodies. And we should be more concerned with what he says about what we do with our bodies than what the law says about what we do with our bodies, whether legal or illegal, encouraged or discouraged. And ultimately, when we talk in terms of feeding our appetites, while it is okay to feed those appetites within proper parameters, biblical parameters, they always ultimately should be, should be subjugated to God's will. Because what does Paul say here in verse 13? He says that food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. We see ultimately that the bodies that we have now in their current form at some point will no longer exist. Our physical body will return to dust. It will be ultimately destroyed as it stands right now. Paul readdresses this idea in a little bit, and we'll see what happens with our bodies. But right now, your flesh and blood that was formed from the dust of the ground at one point will be feeding your plants, so to speak. 
that is what's going to happen. So when we, when we make the decisions in our life based on something that's not going to last, like the, the terminality of our bodies, we find that we miss out on what God wants us to be doing with our choices regarding our bodies. And that our appetites and the feeding of them should be subjugated to His will because He cares about what we do with our bodies. And I think it's fascinating here that Paul doesn't make this particular argument just about sex. He starts with food and then goes into sex. Now, that tells us that sex was the predominant theme and issue in the culture. It was. That's indisputable. But apparently there was also something going on, and this is where some of the Baptists listening are going to cringe a little bit. This issue of food and what we do with our bodies regarding food is also an important issue to consider. Because while we also, or we tend to really focus on the, the, the badness of doing naughty things sex-related outside of the context of what God tells us, we'll throw three Big Macs down our gullet and not even bat an eye and think that's totally okay. When we're at our potlucks and things, or we're visiting other people, and we're asked if we want thirds, we'll just pile it on and pile it in. And we'll eat whatever we want, whenever we want, and we'll do it because it's not illegal. If you left right now and ran down to McDonald's and got five double quarter pounders and decided tonight that you were going to eat those, well, a very poor decision, the police are not going to arrest you. You will not spend any time in jail. You can totally do that. But should you? And more importantly, does God care about you destroying your body with the amount and kinds of foods that you eat? I actually believe that he does. And I believe that we see that principle here in the text. So lest you think that, okay, as long as I'm not doing anything wrong sexually, this doesn't apply to me, I can move on down the road. Well, sorry, you can't. Because this is everybody. It's for everybody. And it applies to everybody. Why? Because God cares about what we do with our bodies. And we see that in verses 12 and in the first part of verse 13. So I ask you tonight, as we begin to look at what Paul is talking about here, when we're asking this question of whose body is it anyway, and does it matter what we do with it, tonight, are there things in your life, like physically, is there an appetite of some kind that is out of control? Is it food? Is it sex? Is it something else? that is dominating who you are as a believer and making your choices for you. Paul says, as Christians, we have a higher standard to which we should be held. And it shouldn't be just whether or not something is legal or illegal. It's ultimately whether or not it is beneficial. And ultimately, that it brings glory to God. As we'll see as we continue on. Because God cares about what we do with our bodies. As we go on, he begins this passage by talking about what our bodies aren't for, right? Our bodies aren't for gorging and overeating and, and packing in terrible things and doing things with our bodies that we know are sinful, with people that we know are sinful. He says, now that I've, I've addressed these arguments for those you know, that have come into the church who just came to Christ and now are, are discovering that maybe their lifestyle has been sinful, now he says, okay, this is what you are to do with your body and why. And that's what we see as our second biblical body basic for believers. Not only does God care about what we do with our bodies, but we find that God's goal for our bodies is ultimately relationship with Him. God's goal for our bodies is relationship with Him. So Paul says, okay, the end result of this life is God destroying our body, 
and ultimately our body in its current form no longer existing. But then as we look at the rest of this particular verse, he talks about what the body is meant for. So he said, this is what it wasn't meant for. This is what it is meant for. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. So again, we're answering this question or seeing this presented, this idea that God cares about what we do with our bodies. And we see that our body is ultimately not for us. It's ultimately not for us to use and abuse and, and do with whatever we choose to do with until the day that we physically die. Our body actually is the Lord's, and it's for Him. And Paul goes on to present this argument for the believer that God raised the Lord and will also raise us by His power. So what he's doing here is he's taking the temporal mentality of those who are coming to Christ and thinking, that they can just drive this physical car and just beat it up and then trade it in or do something else. He's saying, look, you know, yes, God will destroy your body one day, but the idea or the concept of your body belongs to him, and he has plans for your body for it to be transformed after you pass away when you know Jesus Christ, because he cares about what you do with your body. He says, the Lord will raise you up just as he raised his son. You will have a transformed body, just like Jesus did when he rose from the grave. And he says, even more importantly, do you not know in verse 15 that your bodies are members of Christ? That we're all one body, spiritually speaking. We're all members of Christ. And he asks this question, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Essentially, shall I then take a body and, and have terrible, do terrible things with it with someone sexually. I mean, it's, there's a, I'm not going to go too much farther down that road, but I think you can connect the dots of what I'm talking about here. And Paul asks this question in the same way that he asks the question of shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's rhetorical. And he says, God forbid. And here he says, never. Never. Would we unite Christ with a prostitute? Never. And he, here he arcs back to Genesis, where he says, And do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. For he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So what we have here we, this idea that Paul presents, that our bodies are not just to be used to do whatever we want with, and to say, my body, my choice regarding everything that I do with it, but rather instead your body is not for you to do whatever you want with, Instead, it is it belongs to the Lord, and it's His, and you have a relationship with Him, because God's goal for our bodies is relationship with Him. And it, yeah, that particular expression. We see that ultimately our bodies were meant for relationship. Now, earlier, when I alluded to the fact that we dive a little deeper on the different kinds and types of sex workers in Corinth that Paul would have encountered in the Temple of Aphrodite was mentioned, it's important to bring up a distinction made between the different types and kinds. And it's very important to do this. And I've studied this passage before. I've even preached and taught it for many years. But until this time, when I actually really studied the culture surrounding Corinth and the church of Corinth, once I did, it unlocked different things that Paul and his readers would have thought about that I had never considered being 2,000 years away from this and an entire culture away from it. And the reality is this. This is what Paul was facing as a church uh, church planter, essentially, and church leadership, there were two different kinds of prostitutes in the city of Corinth, and in Greece at large. You had 
The kind is represented by the Greek word pornai. Don't really have to make a big jump there, do we? Pornai. This particular type of sex worker in Corinth was one who often, almost always, had a pimp and was probably not a free person. So they're probably a slave of sorts. And their particular role in that particular relationship was simply satisfying the physical needs of whoever was patronizing them for a very limited time, i.e. the idea of the one-night stand. So there's an important distinction, an important way that I'm going with this now. So that was one kind. Now when I mentioned the temple prostitutes that Paul would have encountered, that the thousand that were living and working in the temple of Aphrodite, these were actually a different Greek word. They were called hetera. And they would be more commonly known in our culture as what is called an escort. That Greek word means companion. And the idea, or rather their job was a bit different than the pornai. What they would do is they would often patronize one person or a limited amount of people over the course of their career. And they would actually cultivate an ongoing relationship with them. These were most often educated men and women who actually went to school and learned how to be good conversationalists in order to be able to entertain their patron uh, in a matter of different ways. It wasn't merely a sexual relationship at all. It was much more than that. It was a full relationship. And those workers at the Temple of Aphrodite were the Hetera. So their job was to get to know their patrons and to develop an ongoing relationship with them over a very long period of time and to essentially connect with them in that way. Now, why do I share those particular gritty details? I share them for this reason. When we often approach this text as believers, we approach it and we treat the prostitute here as the pornai. We think in terms of the idea of sexual sin as being a series of encounters that are unrelated, and they're not. There's no nothing deeper than that. It's just we either sin or we don't sin. We ask forgiveness. There's we we make it very much like that. But I share this because what Paul was talking about here, and the backdrop of the church at Corinth was the Temple of Aphrodite. So when he is talking to the people at the church of Corinth, what he is warning them about and telling them is so horrible, is that. He's saying when we commit this sexual sin, we are essentially engaging in a relationship between Jesus and an escort over a long period of time and establishing an unholy union, an immoral union. And so when we think in those terms, we, my hope is that we understand just how much more egregious this was and is for the believer. And we see that represented here because he's not just talking about your standard variety of sexual sin, he even illustrates it utilizing Genesis and the union of two people pictured in the marriage relationship. So and I, my hope is that for us it helps us really realize what he's talking about here and why it's so significant regarding what we do with our bodies. We see our bodies are meant for relationship with Christ, not relationship with sin. And it's a relationship that as believers, when Paul's talking rhetorically here and he says, should we do this? Should we unite Jesus with an escort? And then he says, never. Because the reality of the situation is, we also look at it from the terms of, am I doing this or am I not doing it? The reality is, if you're a Christian, 
You actually physically can't, or spiritually can't, rather, is really what he's saying here. Never. We can't. It's not possible. Why? And that's the next part. And it's because your body already is in a union. And it's in a union with Christ. So you, you actually can't. And he's saying, so why are you trying? You already have a relationship with someone who's so much greater than anything else that you could do with your body. So we see that God's goal for our bodies in this passage, Paul's talking about, is that it's relationship with Christ. It's not relationship with sin. It's not relationship with feeding our appetites. It's, it's not relationship with uh, addiction or habits or patterns or any of those other things that we wrestle with. And I think as believers sometimes, we get so entrenched in these sins that we forget that we have freedom from them. Because Paul talks about that too, doesn't he? In the context of shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound. God forbid, no. See how it's all connected and ties together here, folks? He's saying we have freedom from that. You can't possibly be united to that sin, so why are you letting it dominate your life? He says, yeah, it might be legal. In fact, society and culture might say it's totally fine. But what did he say? But I will not be dominated by anything. This is empowering stuff. This is encouraging stuff. When you really let it sink in and soak in. Our bodies are already in relationship with Jesus. So I want to ask you, are you wrestling today with any kind of habit, attitude, appetite, or pattern? Whether it's food, or sex, or caffeine, or alcohol, or anything else that's dominating your life. I want to give you hope today and help you to realize that you don't have to be. That there is freedom when you know Jesus. And when you have a relationship with Christ, you have a relationship on every level as we see in the text. It's a union. It's not just metaphorical. It's spiritually literal. Because we see that God cares first about what we do with our bodies. And that his goal for us is to have a relationship and be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So when we look at this issue of, is it my body my choice? Who's in control of my body? Who calls the shots about what I do with my body? Well, I know for certain that if you're a Christian, there is a definitive answer for that. And we find that out next in verses 18 through 20. So he talks about this unholy union of uniting the bodies and members of Christ, the prostitute. Never, God forbid. And then he says in verse 18, so because of all that, folks, you got to run from sexual morality. And, and I would say even in the context here, even with talking about food and those kinds of appetites and things, you know, maybe it's better to just avoid six pieces of chocolate cake rather than putting them in front of you and trying to will it out. So, But as he points out here, sex is even stronger. It's an even greater urge. But still, I'm saying, if we can avoid these kinds of things with our body, we can discipline ourselves to make choices on the front end to avoid them, is that not better? He says, flee sexual morality. Run from it. Run from it. Every other sin a person commits, so chocolate cake, uh, is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What does he mean by that? Well, as I wrestled with this and thought through this, I realized that when he's comparing this sin to other sins, it's comparable to swearing and taking the Lord's name in vain. Because Swearing is often cultural, culturally contextual. You know, it's a situation where some words are, are bad in some cultures and not in others. And you can get into that whole thing if you want, semantically. And, and there's maybe potentially some wiggle room. But we know when we take the Lord's name in vain, 
that is always going to be bad and arguably culturally, as far as God's concerned, probably worse than swearing. And I certainly, for me personally, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me a lot, a lot stronger when it comes to just taking his name flippantly than it does to using some words that we should. And that's what I think about this, this idea of sexual sin when he's saying that every other sin is, is committed outside the body, but this one is one sinning against the body. We're essentially, when we do things sexually with our body that are immoral and wrong, we're essentially blaspheming God with our bodies. We're, we're, we're essentially sullying that relationship with Him, with our bodies, when we know Christ. And just sit with that for a second. I believe that's the distinction. Why is that? Well, let's look. So he makes that distinction. Flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but a sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Here's why. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So I believe he really just drops the bomb here and says this is it's so wrong believer who just came to Christ, who most of his life has been patronizing prostitutes in town and now shouldn't anymore because it's sinful. And this is why. And this is why it's so bad. And it's because now you have God literally living inside of you. When he says and he uses the word temple, for the Jewish person, the temple was the essential housing of God, the presence of God. People went to the temple to worship God because that's where he was. And now, Paul says, your temple, your body, houses the presence of God. And you are essentially sinning against that very thing when you sin against your body. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And he says, you know, that residence of the Lord living within you came at great cost in him. And that great cost was the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Of him sending his son to become flesh, physical body, to physically die for us for that sin. So that we would then be righteous before him so that he could come and live within us. So what we do with our bodies matters. It matters greatly. Because as we see here from the text, we no longer own our body. When you have a relationship with Christ, it's his body. He lives in there. And whatever we do with it, we're making him complicit too. And we see that in the text. You're no longer your own. You were bought with a price. So he says, he wraps up this particular argument, if you will. He says that God bought the rights to our bodies. And that's biblical body basic for believers number three. God bought the rights to our bodies. He owns our bodies. That they're his. So he says to that person coming into the church and saying, well, it's not illegal. Why can't I do it? He says to that person this, your body isn't yours to just do with whatever you want. God bought it. He paid for it with his son, Jesus Christ, whom you have now have a relationship with. So this is what you should be doing with your body. Here's the conclusion of his argument. He says, so glorify God in your body and really with your body. So then is the question so much Whose body, whose choice is it? Or is it 
Who am I glorifying with it? Are the choices and the decisions that I'm making such that glorify him? Or do they glorify me or someone else? We see Paul says that God owns our body, so therefore any choices that we make should glorify him with what we do with them. And that, that's really the answer even in our culture today. And when we talk with people about it, and that, that, that issue does come up, when we talk with people, I recently saw a TikTok or Reel or whichever it was that I was looking at at the time. I think it was actually TikTok or Reel. That's a whole different thing. Where a woman was actually talking about how she does not care what the Bible says about what she does with her body. Which is very open, just very, very powerful about what she said about how she does not care. And I think as we approach a culture that is very much largely that way now, very predominantly, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what your book says about what I do. I think that's where that wisdom that Jesus Christ tells his disciples about, where he says he tells them to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. We share with them what we know to be the case for what God says about what we do with our bodies. So rather than trying to tell someone who doesn't know Christ what God says they should be doing, because actually God doesn't say they shouldn't be doing those things in this passage. He says the believers shouldn't be doing those things. I believe that, that from this text we see that when we approach people who don't know Christ, who are trying to make these choices rather than telling them and, and berating them or condemning them for the choices that they're making when they don't have the Holy Spirit living within them and don't know anything differently, we should share with them our experience of coming to Christ in our experience of what it means to know Christ and, and how God honors our bodies when we honor Him with our bodies and the benefit of that. And really, that probably should be our starting point when we have this discussion with those that don't know Jesus Christ about whose choice it is and what they do with their bodies. Because we don't start with the fact that God bought their bodies. Because even though he did, we could get into a whole argument of efficacy. We won't. Ultimately, if the rubber meets the road when they make that choice to trust Christ. And that's where we should start. That's where we should start with people. That relationship. Because that's what makes the difference. So what do we learn ultimately from this text? Well, ultimately, heavenly speaking... Fighting for the rights to our bodies is not really the most important issue, I don't believe, scripturally, as believers. Knowing who truly owns the rights to our bodies is the issue, and what we should be talking about and discussing. And if you're listening, or watching, and you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you that you're missing out on the best relationship of your entire life. You may have had relationships up to this but I guarantee you there is no relationship with one, like one with Christ because he is there for you when anyone else in your life is not necessarily guaranteed to be. And a relationship with him means a relationship with one who loves your body more than even you can and certainly more than anyone else in your life. And I want to encourage you, if you're, you're watching or listening, reach out to me if you want to know more about what it means to have that relationship with him. And I would just love to show you from God's word where it talks about that and how you can know that you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, if you're a believer, here's the reality. Your body no longer belongs to you. It's not yours anymore. 
You no longer have free reign to do with it and put into it anything that you want. That's just the way it is. And we see that from God's word. You were bought with a price. You now have a higher calling to use your body to glorify God. And with that in mind, I want to encourage you to make a commitment now in your heart that you're going to use your body going forward to bring glory to him. That before you feed that next appetite, whatever it is, that you're going to stop and think about the fact that that particular choice that you're about to make came at great cost to God. But he paid it for you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this passage in your word. And thank you that Paul wasn't writing in a vacuum. He was addressing the needs of his day and the issues in society. And in some ways, some of the issues are the same. So we know your word is relevant. We know that it's contextual. And while it may not completely and entirely line up beat for beat, we can see you working through your spirit through the lives of these people in such a way that it definitively applies to where we are today. And God, I do pray that the battles that are fought in our culture, in our country, in our world today, are ultimately ones of the soul. And that we would be more concerned about whether or not people come to Christ than we are about what laws are put in place or overturned. And God, I thank you for using us as your people. And I pray that we would model for those that don't know you how to glorify you with our bodies. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless as you go forth to teach, preach, and uh, reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week.